Welcome to another edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer, alongside my co-host John Adams. And uh, John, it's been mostly a bust in the NCAA tournament for SEC basketball. So we started the conversation last week with basketball. It's it's spring football time throughout most of, of SEC land now. So we're going to start off the conversation today with football, we'll get into some some basketball and some of these uh, uh, disappointments and early round exits throughout the SEC in the second half of, of the podcast. But uh, is football time? You excited for a little spring practice? I don't even think about spring practice if I happen to be in the unfortunate position of having to watch it. Do you think anything would really be lost if we just canceled spring practice. I mean, this, that kind of happened a couple years ago with the pandemic in 2020. A lot of teams had very little spring practice and they introduced these like NFL OTA style workouts in the summer to try to make up for that. Do you think much would be lost uh, from a coaching perspective, from a player development perspective? I mean, I know not much would be lost for us because neither you nor I care about spring practice anyway, but for the actual pr- program perspective, would something be lost if spring practice went away? I think it would have a huge impact on coaches' psyche. I think they believe that the earth will tilt on its axis if there's no spring football. Uh, In terms of personnel, I think there's a possibility a third-string offensive tackle could move up to second string with a good spring. But here's the thing. We talk about the competition in the spring, but nothing's ever decided. Then they go to fall camp and the competition begins anew with a complete contingent of players with all the freshmen there. It's like practice, practice. You just are practicing to be able to practice some more. We're, we're going to move on talking about practice. We, we're not, uh, not Alan Iverson here. No. Uh, he doesn't like talking about practice either. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to talk about much practice. We're going to look ahead uh, to some potential dark horses and potential overhype teams in the SEC. If you think back to last year, you know, I think a, I know a dark horse for me coming into last season was Ole Miss. They were lurking around the bottom of the polls, but I really like what they brought back at that time in Matt Corral. Um, they'd brought in some transfers to improve their defense. They had some really talented wide receivers, and I thought they weren't getting really enough respect in those preseason polls, and that tr- that proved true. They were a, a dark horse in the in the SEC. They went to the the Sugar Bowl. They matched a program high with ten victories. On the other hand, there were a couple programs that got a lot of hype in the preseason and and did not live up to expectations. Texas A and M comes to mind. They were they were seen you know in the preseason polls as a team that should contend for a playoff spot. Didn't happen. They lost two games in September. They did bounce back and deliver maybe the upset of the season in beating Alabama in October, but overall a four-loss season, albeit with the asterisk of Haynes King's injuries, but it, it didn't live up to expectations. And I know nobody was was pumping up the hype for Missouri like I was on this podcast, uh, but I wasn't the only one a little enamored with Connor Basilek and, and second-year coach Eli Drinkwitz. And and by and large, it was it was a bust of a season for Missouri. They, they make a bowl game, but they finish six and seven with that loss to Army in the bowl game. So, looking forward, let's start off with the potential dark horse. Who can be Ole Miss Part 2 this year and be a dark horse contender to get to a New Year's Six Bowl? I would go with LSU. 
Now, I don't know how much hype they will have, but I really think they would be placed behind certainly Alabama and Texas A&M and maybe in the same camp as an Ole Miss or an Arkansas. Arkansas may get more preseason hype than LSU. But LSU, Brian Kelly's come in there, and he's not really interested in a rebuilding project, nor should he be at LSU. But all these transfers, he's remade his secondary. He's really impacted his offensive line. He's created more competition at quarterback. He's done all these things through the transfer portal, which tells me he wants to win really bad, really fast. And that's good for LSU fans. And LSU might have the best group of wide receivers in the conference, led by Kayshawn Booty. So I like what Brian Kelly's done. As I mentioned last week, I I really uh, didn't know if that were a great hire for LSU, but he's turned it around in my mind so far. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good pick. Now, you are in danger there. I feel like LSU and Texas A&M's the t- the two teams every year that we think like, ooh, they could be a, a contender for for the playoff. And, and more years than not, they haven't done. That. I mean, Texas A&M's never made the playoff. LSU's just won at the one time. And so I think sometimes we can be uh, seduced by their their talent and the four and five stars and and overrate them a little bit. But this is a year where I think you're right. They could be undervalued. When you look at some of these early top 25 polls, now some of them are outdated at this point because it's because of the transfer additions. But let's go back to USA Today's too early, as it was called, top 25 right after the national championship in January. LSU wasn't even in that early top 25. Now, I think if you would re-release that today, taking into account some of these transfer additions, I think they'd be in the top 25. But I don't think they're going to be, you know, a preseason top fifteen team, and and yeah, I mean, I think when you look at what they did with the, the portal, nobody added more bodies than what LSU did uh, in in the portal. They added fourteen guys, and they weren't just you know into the roster type guys. They added some some quick impact guys, including Jaden Daniels, the, the transfer quarterback from from Arizona State, who's believed to be the front runner in that quarterback competition. See, I really like the two offensive linemen they added uh, from Florida Atlantic and uh, from uh, who, no, who East Tennessee State, Tremont. East Tennessee State, yeah, yeah. those two guys. I, I really like guys who are productive at, at what we consider a lower level than the SEC. So I really like that. I mean, guys that are proven productive players. This the defensive backs LSU added from Arkansas. They're Louisiana natives. They're proven players, productive players. So you're not, you may not get a first team all SEC player, though the cornerback from uh, Oklahoma State may, may well be a first team uh, all SEC player. But those guys from Arkansas, not necessarily all SEC, but reliable, proven guys, you get enough of those, you can win a lot of games. And I think it's interesting that. LSU has fallen off, kind of fallen off the radar because, as you mentioned, it's usually perceived the other way because it does recruit well. Ed Orgeron recruited well. Uh, But now it's kind of like that's how bad it was last year. I mean, it was so bad after winning a that, you know, just a couple, what, two years after national championship. It was so bad two years later that – People don't even have them in the top 25 now. 
And even if they did, even if they factored in the transfer portal, I'm not, I think it would still probably be like 18th to 25. No better. I think that's right. Don't you think that a lot of people, when they do their top 25, uh, we've both voted in the poll a number of times. When you do the top 25, some people, we're not, but a lot of people uh, who are inferior to us are, are they, they, they're married to their top 25. And it's like a personal affront if they have to move somebody out. It's as though they're saying, oh, my gosh, I'm wrong. And a lot of people with low self-esteem have problems with that. We don't have low self-esteem. We don't have any problem saying, yeah, I was wrong about that, but I'll be right about this. So. Right. And we're going to yeah. get into later just how wrong we were when it came to SEC basketball proving, sure, it proving your, affect your, our egos. <laughs> right. No, I think that's right. I think I think LSU will be in the 18 to 25 range in the preseason polls. I think, you know, given the, the transfer additions, um, I think they could could exceed that. I think. Living in the SEC West, obviously always tough. Crossover games against Tennessee and Florida, not the easiest road there, you know, in terms of your your two East foes. But I, th- I think that's a reasonable choice for for New Year's Six Bowl dark horse. I'm going to go with one. You probably see this coming from a mile away, John, because you've dubbed this team my 2022 version of Missouri from last year. But I'm going all in on the Hogs. Arkansas. Uh, I really like what, what Arkansas brings back. I think they, you know, they got a lot of credit for what they did in September last year in beating Texas A&M and beating Texas. And then they were brought down a peg with a couple of losses. And I think people thought like, okay, got a little too excited about Arkansas, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think overall it was a really a fantastic year too for Sam Pittman. And 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 sure, they lost to to Alabama. That was a close game. I mean, really, the only the only blowout that Arkansas suffered was at the hands of of national champion Georgia. Otherwise, Arkansas was in every game. They could have won the Ole Miss game. Maybe should have won the Ole Miss game. Uh, took Alabama down to the wire and 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 won their bowl game against Penn State. And one thing that and I probably put too much stock in this, but I always like teams that bring back four people. You bring back your head coach, your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, and your starting quarterback. And Arkansas does that. And I think that's particularly important when you actually like those guys. I mean, if you're bringing back back a bunch of bums in those positions, (laughs) that doesn't help you. But the fact that Arkansas retained Sam Pittman as his head coach, Barry Odom at defensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles running the offense, and then KJ Jefferson, who I think is a really undervalued SEC quarterback, I think that makes them tough. And you mentioned Arkansas lost some some transfers to LSU. They did. But I thought Arkansas did a nice job of offsetting what they lost by who they brought in. Bring in you know, linebacker Drew Sanders from Alabama, uh, the defensive back Dwight McLaughlin from LSU, and then Jaden Hazelwood, um, the, the transfer wide receiver from Oklahoma. I, they got a really tough schedule, um, and, and maybe they'll fall victim of setting the bar high last year and, and not being able to meet it. But I, I think I like Arkansas as that the dark horse New Year's six contender. You make a really compelling case for Arkansas, but as you're talking and as you're presenting your argument, I, I just think, well, Blake said, sure. Those of the Razorbacks, they are absolutely doomed. And, and, <laughs> 
But I think there are a lot more people in your camp with Arkansas than were in your camp with Missouri. I think you were kind of on an island with the Tigers last year, but I think there are a lot of people. And I think the bowl game had something to do with it. I thought Arkansas looked really good in that bowl game. And, and that's our most recent memory. And I know that wasn't a great Penn State team, but it was pretty good. And I, I just think that 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 will impact people going forward when they look at and they're putting drawing up a preseason a top 25. But as you pointed out, though, when you're in the West, you got a lot of tough games. But Ole Miss had the same had the same issue last year, and look what it did. So it can be done. Uh, I just think the East offers a mo- greater opportunity for a dark horse. I mean, you can zoom right up there to second. That's true, and that's part of the reason why I fell victim to Missouri last year. Yeah, uh, you look at Arkansas's crossovers. I think it's manageable. They get South Carolina at home. I know with the addition of Spencer Rattler, that's going to make South Carolina should make South Carolina tougher. But they got South Carolina at home, and then they have a Missouri on the road. I think that's that's a decent ask for your your East crossovers. Um, and, and I do. I'm with you. I think the way Arkansas finished the season probably is going to influence a lot of people, influence me. Uh, I mean, seeing them take Alabama to the fourth quarter, I mean, that was a good game. Alabama could not exhale in that game mm-hmm. at all. And then they come back and, um, you know, they beat Missouri without much issue, and then they beat Penn State. I mean, I think the way Arkansas finished the season lingers in my mind. Bringing back your quarterback always helps. And then, you know, as I said, some of the transfers they brought in, those are plug-and-play guys um, that I think can can really boost. And my concern with them is the schedule, and and then and that's my concern with another dark horse. I'm going to throw one more out there. I'm going to stay in the West. Nobody brings back as much returning production this year as Mississippi State. Uh, Bill Connolly from ESPN does um, you know a really good job of of analyzing the the production returning from every team in the nation, and Mississippi State tops the charts in the SEC. And I don't think returning starters and returning production means as much as it used to because of the reliance on transfers and because of freshmen, you know, stepping in and playing as true freshmen in a way that maybe 10 or 15 years ago we didn't expect true freshmen to do. But I think it still means something. And Mississippi State brings back a ton. Now, much like Arkansas, they have a really tough schedule, and that concerns me a little bit. But if I were to offer like a a second-tier dark horse I would take Mississippi State other than Arkansas. And in fact, I might flip them if not for the bowl games. You talk about the lasting impression of those bowl games. Mississippi State performed horribly in the bowl, whereas Arkansas won. Flip those results, and and I'd probably have them flipped in in my dark horse pecking order. Yeah, that's that's not a bad pick in that with Mike Leach teams, just from past remembrances of at Washington State and Texas Tech. It seems as though when his team is not thought that much of, when it's kind of disregarded and nobody's talking much about it, that's when his team seem to do really well. Uh, sometimes when they're perhaps overhyped like a Missouri last year, it doesn't do as well. So you're saying I should stop talking about them? <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to stay truth to your convictions even – even if they're misguided. 
Moving on to the potential overhyped. Who do you like in, in that spot of a team that's generating a lot of buzz right now as we sit about five months, five and a half months from the start of the season that you think, you know, come next November or December, we're going to be talking about uh, what could have been or, oh, how they were ranked too high at the preseason rankings. Who comes to mind? Well, I think you can always pick Texas a and I mean, that's, I mean, that's just a, a standard for that. <laughs> For that evaluation, a couple of teams, and maybe I'm the only one hyping them, but they are being hyped if I'm hyping them. So I would go with South Carolina. You love you love that addition of Spencer Rattler. You love yes, those I game do. And, and see also the fact that Josh Fan returning wide receiver. Um, I think the receiving core could be really good. They got a, a Austin Stogner from Oklahoma too. Um, so I think I think South Carolina has real potential, and I believe I saw them in somebody's top twenty-five. I haven't written one, but yeah, they are. I believe they're in the USA Today uh, early okay. top twenty-five. Well, Maybe see. it's ESPNs. It's one. It's one of those. I'm surprised you're picking them as potentially being overhyped because I know how much you love. The Gamecocks. I thought they were. I thought you were going to pick South Carolina as the dark horse. Although maybe in no. your mind they're, they're nobody's no. dark horse because they're 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 coming for for the national title. Well, see, but I think I think Tennessee is kind of in the same same arena, and I think I'm perhaps overhyping them so they could falter, and so that fits that fits your parameters. I I think Tennessee has. It has eight starters back on offense, seven back on defense. It won seven games last year. Same coaching staff. If we want to use your measuring sticks, quarterback returning, coordinators both returning, and the head coach returning. And it's playing in the SEC East. You think that's a dumb measuring stick, John? And maybe not that dumb. You just used it. I convinced you to use no, it. No, not at No, you swayed me very easily. I was very malleable on that point. So. Great. <laughs> No, I, no, I think it is a good measuring stick. What I like, the ones I use, which may be just as faulty, uh, would be quarterback, personnel only, quarterback, offensive line, and secondary. I like experience in those areas. Well, and that might be an area where you can look at of, oh, maybe Tennessee is going to be overhyped because they have to replace their best offensive lineman in Cade Mays and their best cornerback in Elante Taylor. And if you watch Tennessee in the bowl game without Elante Taylor, who didn't play in the bowl, uh, that secondary looked very suspect. And I think Tennessee's a good pick. I mean, they, they over-exceeded, or they you can't over-exceed, they exceeded expectations they exceeded, yeah. in, in, uh, in year one under Josh Heupel. And I think there's the danger of maybe the bar getting put too high too fast, uh, and then they fail to meet it in, in year two. I think that's a, I think that's a good pick. I like that one. Well, I would give them nine or 10 wins. I see them as a, that could be a nine or 10 win season. There you go. You're hyping them so, up still. You're so setting I'm them over up hyping, to not beat the bar. I'm overhyping in South Carolina, which I thought last year that was, maybe that's the reason I'm hyping them is because I thought they would be horrible last season. I mean, absolutely the worst. I thought, I thought they could be worse than Vanderbilt. That's how bad I thought they could be, and the Gamecocks proved me wrong. And so now I'm high on the Gamecocks. Lord willing, John, you're going to make it down with me to SEC Media Days in Atlanta this summer. Mm -hmm. And Lord willing, 
you won't be having any computer issues or internet connectivity issues, and you'll be able to fill out your preseason picks, your, your ballot for the SEC's preseason media poll. Will you dare put South Carolina atop the East in your preseason picks? <laughs> just, just go all the way. Put, put, put South Carolina atop the East. No, I, I have an ability to, to self-edit. So I will, uh, I will tighten the reins on that, uh, on that surge. And I, and I could see them third. I could see Tennessee second, South Carolina third. Boys, I just don't feel like that's high enough for as much as you like those Gamecocks. You're going to really settle for third. I thought maybe I could convince you to put them there on the two line at least. No, no. I, I think I'm, I mean, I'm trying to, this was your assignment. And I'm trying to do the assignment to the best of my ability. I'm trying to make you look good because you're the lead host on this. So I want you to look good. So I, I tried to come up with a strong, strong team that could be overhyped, and I picked South Carolina. So actually by overhyping them or by hyping them, and then I say they could be overhyped, I really win both ways, don't I? <laughs> that is a veteran move. It's as if you've been doing this for like 45 years, John. <laughs> you left the low-hanging fruit for the taking, though, and you uh, mentioned them and then moved past it. It's just too easy, and that's who I had in mind. It was Texas A&M. I mean, they're ripe for the taking. And in USA Today's early top 25, which I like citing uh, the USA Today early top 25 because it's a USA Today Network podcast. So, you know, from the from the mothership there in, in January – Texas A&M was sitting at number five in the early polls. It's, it's, just, it's becoming a running joke at this point, and I've fallen victim to it. I, I really like the Aggies going into the last season, but then it's almost to the point where I'm like, never again, you know? Um, and I think I do – I have some concerns about A&M because, you know, Haynes King coming off that leg injury, um, you know, like the, the broken lower leg, ankle, whatever it was, the lower lower extremity. A he break, was in pain. Yes. Yeah, this isn't a, you know, a, a bruised uh, index finger or something, uh, although that could be a bummer for a quarterback, too. But point being, this was a serious injury. Um, so we don't know how he's going to be coming back from that. And then, as we've talked about on this pod before, uh, you know, Max Johnson going at A&M, he's, he's a, a proven starter, but I just I don't think he's he's an elite quarterback. And you look at some of the other losses with A&M. I mean, they lost their stud tight end, Jalen Weidermeyer. They lost Isaiah Spiller. I know they signed the awesome recruiting class. And so I think maybe if this were 2023, I'd say, yeah, put them at number five in an early poll. But I think they are primed to not match up to the hype. Well, I think a little more of Max Johnson than you do at QB. I think he will have more talent around him than he did at LSU. So I think he's an upgrade. I mean, who would you take? Although you aren't uh, sold on Max Johnson, certainly, but who would you take, Max Johnson or Zach Calzada? Oh, no no question there. Okay. Abs yeah, yeah. That's, why, that's why none of us are picking uh, Auburn as our dark horse contender. In, Not at all. In the SEC, is they're either going to have Zach Calzada or, or uh, TJ Finley, two guys that had they stayed where they were at would not be starting quarterbacks. So, you know, that makes me concerned about what Auburn's going to have this year. Sure, rightfully so. So I, I just think A&M, I'm surprised they are ranked fifth. I wouldn't rank them that high myself. N and not just because of their past history, because I just, I'm uncertain about some things with Texas A&M. 
And and I think we were both a little uncertain about them last year. I mean, we thought they would be good. I mean, they look good on paper. But when you aren't sure about your quarterback in today's world, that's a big concern. And and certainly we weren't sure about their quarterbacks last year. We shouldn't have been. Yeah, we'll get into some other things that we shouldn't have been so sure about in, in just a moment. But uh, we thank you for finding us here on SEC Football Unfiltered. Go ahead and click subscribe or follow if you don't already. That way... Uh, we'll be in your inbox each and every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate it if you can give us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. John, we talked, we went heavy on basketball last week. We offered our predictions, and your predictions were bad. Mine were worse. I came off looking like a massive dunce um, by picking, I believe on this podcast, I picked Kentucky to cut down nets. And uh, Kentucky did not cut down. Instead, they suffered what I think is a fair assessment to call the most embarrassing loss in program history, a first-round upset at the hands of of 15th-seeded St. Peter's. But it wasn't just that. I mean, the, the SEC has laid a massive egg in the NCAA tournament. Five of their six teams were eliminated uh, through the first two rounds. Arkansas is the last hope left standing from the SEC in the Sweet 16. How were we so fooled by SEC basketball? Was this conference just grossly overrated, or was this a case of just teams delivering bad performances or, or peaking at the wrong time? Well, I've been watching SEC basketball a long time, and I don't think I can remember where there were as many teams. I thought there were four teams from the SEC they could make the final four. I thought Auburn could. I thought Kentucky could. I thought Tennessee could. I thought Arkansas could. Very talented athletic team. So how do I explain my gross incompetence when it came to evaluating this? I think the regular season is a better indicator of talent than the NCAA tournament is. Auburn's post-tandem is one of the best probably in SEC history. It has two first-round draft picks in Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. I mean, it brings it, it brings another 6'11 guy off the bench. Its guards were unpredictable, but it had great depth. Uh, I thought it was the best team in, in the country in, in, in January at one point. And in another time, I thought your Kentucky Wildcats were the best team in the country. When they waylaid uh, Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse, nobody does that. And they beat Tennessee by 28 points. Then down the stretch, I thought Tennessee winning 13 of 14 games, winning the SEC tournament, clearly a Final Four team. So the the one thing I can find as a common thread is offense. All those teams in this league as an entity, defensive-oriented, great defenses, very athletic players, but maybe lacking in offense. Part of that's coaching, I guess. A part of that's the caliber of player you're recruiting. I saw in some of these games – uh, I saw the the opposing team against the SEC team had much more success offensively than teams in the conference did when they were having league games. 
I mean, Arkansas, Tennessee played a game. Both teams scored in the fifties. Uh, Auburn held people down, but it couldn't it couldn't contain Miami in that second round game. A team with virtually no post play, five guys just running around the perimeter. Great ball movement, great quickness. So I don't think it was a lack of talent or future NBA players. I just think it's an approach maybe has something to do with it. I I guess I'm kind of clueless in a way about this. Nobody was more clueless than I was in, in making these these picks and how foolish we were to ever even think that the SEC deserved more than six teams in, in the tournament. <laughs> but you know, it was interesting, John. I was up in, in Kentucky for the first round um, of the tournament watching watching the games up there with a with a friend and had a Kentucky a, a couple Kentucky fans there watching the game in the room as w- with me as well. And mm. um, if if those two fellows are any indication Big Blue Nation is is not real happy right now, and that's a, that's an understatement. And there's and there's a section of of Big Blue Nation that, in particular, is really uh, fed up with with John Calipari. You have this you have this first round exit, just an embarrassing defeat. St. Peter's endowment as a university is about one one fourth of what Kentucky's annual athletic department revenue is four times as much revenue for Kentucky and athletic revenue than what St. <laughs> Peter's endowment is. So uh, an embarrassing Calipari, uh, tips more than what they have <laughs> in their budget. Exactly. An embarrassing loss on the heels of, of what was just a lousy season for Kentucky a, a year ago. And then on the flip side of that, you look at Tennessee on the heels of its first sec tournament triumph championship. And since 1979, and then here comes the the Rick Barnes in the NCAA tournament, and wouldn't you know it, uh, didn't go as far as as the seating would suggest. Uh, you know, just Rick Barnes piles up a lot of wins during the regular season, but he doesn't have a good track record in in March Madness. And at some point, you just have to say he is what his record says he is. He's a really good regular season coach who very rarely gets it done in March. If you look at his last fourteen seasons. Uh, between seven at Texas and and seven at at Tennessee, he's produced one sweet Sweet Sixteen in those fourteen seasons. He's made the NCAA tournament four times in seven years at Tennessee, and in none of those four times has Tennessee gone as far as its seating would suggest that it should have. So between John Calipari and Rick Barnes, who is the more chronic underachiever in the NCAA tournament? Well, that's easy. I would say Rick Barnes, but he's been to one Final Four. He managed to do that at Texas. But what you just pointed out statistically, that's a great stat. But John Calipari's taken – he took Memphis. He almost won the national championship at Memphis. He won one at Kentucky. And didn't he have UMass in the Final Four at one point? He did, yeah. He's he's been to a number of Final Fours, so – He's underachieved by what Kentucky wants him to be and maybe by what Kentucky is paying him to be. But I I think Barnes, because of, I mean, one sweet 16 in 14 seasons, you would be fired at Kentucky with that. Well, you wouldn't gotten close to 14 seasons. Four seasons, you would have been fired. Yeah, no question. And and the more we talk about it, the more I think it is probably a lopsided debate. I think Cal's issue at Kentucky is, first of all, it's Kentucky. You know, unlike Tennessee, Barnes enjoys 
a largely comfortable situation, I think, because he's he's a basketball coach who who wins twenty plus games almost every year um, in a a football oriented school, even though. Tennessee hasn't had a ton of high-level football success in the last dozen or so years. It's still a football-first school. Kentucky's a basketball-first school um, by a landslide, and, and the pressure, the stakes are higher there. But it's interesting when you look at Cal, because early in his tenure, I thought there were some Kentucky fans that just they, they weren't satisfied with him. And I, I thought, my goodness, what do you expect? I mean, you know, he comes out of the gate, he goes to an Elite Eight, then a Final Four, and then he cuts down nets in year three with a national champion. A couple years later, he comes back and, and finishes as a runner-up, then goes to another Final Four. I mean, he was coming out guns blazing. But he had that undefeated team in 2015, undefeated into the NCAA tournament, really balanced team, and they lost to Wisconsin in a Final Four game. That was the year they had Aaron Harrison and Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker. You know, they, they didn't have like one 20-point score. They had a bunch of guys that scored like 8 to 12 points a game, just really deep. And and uh, I think that that year maybe sticks in Kentucky fans' minds a little bit of, you know, he led a second national championship at Kentucky maybe get away with that uh, team that was undefeated going into the tournament. And, and since then, he hasn't been back to a Final Four. He's been to a couple of Elite Eights, but hasn't been back to a Final Four. And so, you know, for me with Calipari, it's, it's really two tenures almost like the first, you know, half dozen years were, were really pretty good. But you look at since that 2015 team, it's been a lot of good teams. Um, certainly not early exits like we've seen this year, but you know, a lot of teams, you know, a couple of teams capping out at, at the elite aid or, or a little sooner. And, and I think that's where frustrations are, are really starting to mount. Yes, I, I remember. I mean, I was covering SEC basketball when Joe B. Hall, the successor to Adolph Rupp, was a coach in Kentucky. Joe B. Hall, to me, without question, was a, the most maligned basketball coach ever to win a national championship. He was a great recruiter, and they had really talented teams, just as John Calipari is, and just kind of what he's doing now. Kentucky doesn't expect to be really successful, it wants a UCLA John Wooden-like dynasty. That's kind of what the goal is. It's not to win an occasional national title. It's to win all the national titles. The the one team still standing, John, Arkansas, they've benefited from not having to play a, a high-seeded team so far, but it didn't matter for Kentucky, didn't matter for for Tennessee and, and even Auburn lost to a 10 seed. So I, Arkansas deserves some credit for still being standing here, even though it wasn't always pretty in beating Vermont and in beating New Mexico state, they really had to rely on their defense. And now their prize is, is having to play number one overall Gonzaga. But you look at it now, Eric Musselman's three years into the job at Arkansas. Of course, year one was the COVID year. There was no NCAA tournament, got canceled, goes to the elite eight last year. Goes to Sweet 16 this year. Can we just say Arkansas is back in hoops? Like they, you know, they had. I don't know if we're returning to the glory days of Nolan Richardson, but do you expect? I mean, just case closed. Arkansas is they're back in hoops. They're going to be a top three, four team in the SEC moving forward. What do you think? Oh, definitely so. And and no, not comparable to the glory days when he won a national championship, but certainly back in the. In the Sweet 16, I mean, back in uh, a program that can make a splash nationally, 
that will be a tournament regular. And you could see it in the fan support. When they put 20,000 people in that arena and they are not just not just a lot of people, it's a lot, a lot of, of loudness, a lot of volume. So, yeah, I think Arkansas is back, and, and I give him plenty of credit for that. Now he's in a really – He's in a really good position. There's a lot of pressure on Gonzaga. I mean, it's the best team. It's the most talented team. Had a hard-fought win over Memphis. I mean, it was still with about 14 minutes to go. Georgia State um, was, was was pressing Gonzaga. That game was still in doubt. And then Gonzaga went on a 21-0 run. But my point is that Arkansas... If it's competitive against Gonzaga, that wouldn't be a bad Sweet 16 loss. And particularly compared to what the other SEC teams did, you say, well, Arkansas outdid them all. Not only did it make the Sweet 16, it was competitive against maybe the best team in the country, certainly I think the most talented. So uh, it would be interesting to see because I talked about how good the SEC was defensively during the regular season. Well, Gonzaga's offense is way above everything else, I think, in college basketball. So I will be really curious to see how Arkansas's defense would stack up against Gonzaga. All right, we'll see if we have any more basketball to discuss this time next week. I suspect probably not, but that's okay. Football never goes out of style in the South, and uh, we'll be back next week to discuss more. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.